Take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 1. I see that our plant is experiencing some spiritual revival happening up here because it's very different than it was. This is a different plant now. Somebody go switch that one out. Uh, or has the, the water been really good for it? It's uh, looking a lot better. Amen. So is my attitude. You didn't have to be so agreeable about that. (laughs) Romans chapter 1. We started here in Romans 1, verses 8 through 15 last week. And I want us to go back here again. Because in these verses, Paul is, he's really revealing to us some, some traits of, of genuine Christian character, and it really shows us, uh, in brief, really what every Christian ought to be striving to be in our Christian life, and that's where we started. Hey, Mike, can you turn these lights on over here? Um, last week, and I want to draw your attention again to these verses, verse 8, uh, let's start there. For I thank my God through Jesus Christ, uh, it says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request, if by any means, now at length, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift. To the end, you may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and of me. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. We started here in verse 8 last week, and we had talked about how the Apostle Paul had never met these people. He didn't start the church in Rome. Um, He knew of them, and he was writing to them, and he was expressing to them, introducing himself, but then he's expressing his desire to come in to see them. But in doing all of that, Paul is showing what his own heart is, And he becomes a great example for us of what we ought to strive to be as Christian people. In verse 8, we first of all said that every Christian should be thankful. Paul was expressing thanks. He said, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. So as Paul begins writing to the the Romans, he's showing what his motive is in writing to them. And the very first thing that he says is, I'm thankful for you. And not only am I thankful for you, but here's what I'm thankful about, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. And what we made of that was the Apostle Paul expressed no jealousy at all in the fact that they had things going for them spiritually in their life. In fact, Paul said, I'm actually thankful for you. I'm thankful to the Lord for you, that, this, that God is using you and your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Secondly, we said in, in verse uh, 
10, or verse 9, he says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. We said that we ought to be a thankful people as well, or a, a prayerful people as well. And most of the time, uh, it seems as though we can get caught up into a very self-focused prayer life. Lord, help me with this. Lord, help me with that. Wherein Paul was praying for God's will to be done in their life. Paul was praying for their spiritual well-being. And we looked at examples of that. And the point is, is that the Lord wants us to be in a ministry of intercessory prayer for others. Not such a self-focused, self-centered prayer. And then he says in verse 11, For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end, ye may be established. And Paul says that he wanted to be used of the Lord for their spiritual benefit and their spiritual growth. He says, I want to impart some spiritual gift. He's not talking about, uh, you know, gifts of the spirit and so on. What he's talking about is, is, is uh, that their spiritual well-being would be blessed uh, because of his presence there. To the end, he may be established or they would grow in their Christian life. And we ought to want and desire to be used of the Lord in the same way. I want to direct your attention to verse 12, because this is where we're going to spend most of our time today, and we'll see if we can't get through all of these verses. And we see the very next thing that every Christian should strive to be, and we see it in the Apostle Paul's life. He lived this. He said in verse 12, that is that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and of me. And what I take from this and what I see here is, is a humility of spirit that the Apostle Paul had. And every Christian ought to strive to be humble. Not only does Paul desire to be a blessing to the Romans, he said that in verse 11, but he knows that they also can be a blessing to him as well. He says there that he would be comforted by the mutual faith, both of you and of me. In other words, Paul is saying here, I know that there is some spiritual benefit that can come to me from you, from your life. Paul was not one who made it all about himself. Paul was just as aware that these people could have something to share with him that would benefit his life as well. And we ought to have the same spirit as God's people. Seek to be humble people. It's a shame when people get to the place where they aren't really teachable anymore. Like they feel like I'm spiritual or I've done this. And, and, and they get to the point where they have an attitude about them that, that makes them not really teachable anymore. And usually that comes because they end up having some sort of inflated view of themselves. But all of us need to be reminded quite often, in fact, that we have plenty of growing to do no matter what point or stage we are at in our Christian life. And even Paul felt this when he wrote to the Philippians. Go to Philippians chapter 3. 
if there was anybody who was established, if there was anybody who had arrived at some point in their Christian life in a place of spiritual maturity, we could say it was the Apostle Paul. But Paul said to the Romans, he said, I would be comforted by the mutual faith, both of you and of me. I want to be a blessing to you, but I know that you have something you could offer me. And Paul had this attitude that he lived in his Christian life. In Philippians 3 and verse 12, he says, not, that, not as though I had already attained. What that word means is gotten a hold of. So if we go back just a little bit, um, he go, we go back to verse 10. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. So he's talking about Christ. He's talking about partnership with Jesus Christ. He's talking about fellowship with Jesus Christ and having the knowledge of his life. And he says in verse 11, if by any means I might attain or to arrive. That's what, it, that's what the word means. Unto the resurrection of the dead. That's a, uh, this, this uh, uh, Christ-likeness that is, that is the perfect image of Jesus Christ. But then he says in verse 12, not as though I had already attained or gotten a hold of this thing, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. In other words, he's saying the goal is to possess this Christ likeness, and I have not arrived there yet. In verse 13, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. He says, I'm going to keep growing. I'm going to keep growing in Christ's likeness. In verse 14, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul lived that out in his Christian life. And he knew that he had not attained perfection. He had not arrived at this point of Christ's likeness perfectly, and that he needed himself to be instructed. He also needed others to have that influence in his life. And it's a shame when God's people get to the point where they don't think that anybody else, maybe somebody younger than them, maybe somebody less, quote, less than them in years of salvation in the Lord, uh, can actually be a help or a challenge to them in their life. And so they don't have a humble spirit that has a listening ear that's going to be teachable even from somebody who might be, quote, lower than them. Now, nobody's lower than another, if you understand what I mean. In fact, let me, let me just be really transparent with you. I was challenged this week, this last week, by one of my daughters in a conversation. And the thing that I was challenged in is that I need to listen to her because that I at times can be prideful and not have a listening ear as to what is actually being said or understand where they're coming from. That was true. That was a challenge that I needed to hear. But it's pride in the heart that causes us to, to have a heart that says, um, I'm above you. I don't, there's not much that you can teach me. I'm the one who's in the right. You're the one who's in the wrong. You're the one who needs to make the adjustments. The fact is, 
there's an element of pride in our heart that causes us to have an inflated view of ourselves. As if we have arrived at some point, and as if, but Paul said, I know that there's something that you can add to my life that's going to be a comfort and a help in my spiritual life. When here he's the Apostle Paul, writing to new Christians and so on. But his heart was humble to the fact that he could be teachable. That's what we ought to be striving to be as Christian people. We're talking about this in our Sunday school class this morning. Only by pride cometh contention. That's a pretty powerful word. Only. Only by pride cometh contention. So if there's contention going on somewhere, there's an element of pride that's also there as well in the mix. Because pride is what causes that contention. You say, well, what is pride exactly? Well, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, because the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth is really addressing the areas of contention that were among them that had its root in the area or issue of pride. Notice what he says to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6. He says, And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that ye might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? Now notice what Paul says here. And what he's addressing is this issue of contention in the church at Corinth where some said, I'm of Paul. Others said, I'm of Apollos. Some said, I'm of Peter or Cephas. And others would say, I'm of Christ. And they were all part of these groups and part of these cliques. And they felt like they were popular or they were the ones who were in the right because we're a follower of this guy and you're in a different group. And so Paul is teaching to correct this issue and he says that I have transferred these things to myself and to Apollos. You got to go back and you got to understand what he's talking about because he's talking about servanthood here and he's talking about humility and he said, I've transferred these things to myself and to Apollos, these leaders, and I've done it for your sake that you would learn not to think of men above that which is written. And here's what he says, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. The word puffed up here, it means a blowing up. It means to inflate and what Paul is saying is this issue of pride is causing you to have an overestimation of yourself. That no one of you be puffed up one against another. The term was used metaphorically to indicate pride. Having an inflated view of oneself. Paul used that word four different times to describe the Corinthian believers. Three times he was using it to warn them of their pride. And when they were siding with one leader over another, 
it was naturally putting them at odds with others. And they were in their thinking, they were thinking that, well, we're better than our brother. We're better than our sister in this regard because we're a part of this. And pride in the heart is always an overestimation of self. It's always an overestimation of my own opinions, of how important those are. It's always an overestimation of my thinking and my way of thinking, and only by pride cometh contention. There was contention in this church. Go over to Numbers chapter 16. Let me give you another illustration here. In Numbers chapter 16, we find... Moses dealing with the nation of Israel, but you also find another group of people here who want to exert their influence. And what we find in the context is Korah's rebellion. And notice in verse Numbers chapter 16, verse 1. Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Dathan, and the sons of Iliad, and on the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. All right, so Korah, Dathan, and Abiram take men. Verse 2, and they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them, Ye take too much upon you. Seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. So you see what's happening here? Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, they come to Moses and they say, Moses, by the way, was God's man. Moses was the the God-appointed leader of the nation of Israel. Aaron was the high priest. Uh, Aaron was, was... right there with Moses, appointed of God. It was God's decision to put Moses there. Well, here are these men, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, who go and they gather up a group of other guys, men of renown, people famous in the congregation. And the Bible says they rise up against Moses. And what they said was, Moses, you take too much upon you. All of us are holy. We all have the Lord. Why are you lifting yourself up above the congregation like you're better? Now, on the one hand, you could say, well, Korah was just concerned about Moses. You got a lot on your plate. We want to help you out with this. We want to take some of that load off of you, Moses. But that's not what was happening. Their statement of, you take too much upon you, was not out of concern for Moses. It was actually an overestimation of themselves. We're holy. How come you exalt yourself over the the nation of Israel? They wanted that position. They wanted that recognition for themselves. It was an overestimation of themselves. It wasn't their job. It wasn't their purpose or their, their place. Moses was the God-appointed leader. And the point is, again, it was based in pride. And pride is always an overestimation of self being puffed up. There's another thing. I want you to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 
4 and look at verse 7 because not only is it, if you're asking the question, what is pride? Pride is an overestimation of self, but not only that, and Paul points that out to the church in Corinth that they had an inflated view of themselves. But then he says pride is also an ignoring of dependence on God. Because he said in verse 7, Who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? Notice some things that he says here. He first asks the question, Who maketh thee to differ from another? In other words, why do you think that you are superior to another believer in this situation? What makes you think that your opinions or your thoughts or the way that you think or the group that you belong to is better than any other? You're made of the same stuff that anybody else is made of. You're redeemed of the same Lord, just like they are. Who makes you to be different or better than somebody else? And then he says, what hast thou that thou didst not receive? It's like, here's some perspectives here. What does anyone have that they in some way or other uh, ha- is, is in a position where it wasn't given to them? That's what he's saying. You say, well, I'm, I, I work and I put effort in and I, I labor and it's my money and it's my life and I study and I have, I have this knowledge base because of the work that I've done. But let me ask you something. Who gave you life and breath? Who gives you the ability to work and the food that you buy at the store, the ability to uh, to make some money so that you can buy it, uh, caring for your children, the education that you've get, gotten, talents or gifts, gifts that God gives? Who did all of that? Paul says, what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Everything about us is from the good hand of the Lord in some way, shape, or form. And no matter how hard we may have studied in school, no matter how hard we work in business, in our profession, no matter what we do, we would have nothing except for what the Lord and many others have contributed in our life by God's good providential hand. Amen? James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. It's all of the Lord. And you know, we as saints of God, we've been given it even more. We're saved by His grace. We've been given eternal life. We possess the Spirit of God, not of our own doing. We have the Word of God in front of us, not because we did it, but the Lord gave it to us. He gives us gifts. We have love. We have countless other blessings for which we've done nothing and can do nothing to receive. All those gifts are from God and His amazing grace. And the point is, we have absolutely nothing that we can actually glory in of ourselves. But pride is an ignoring of the dependence on God. As if somehow... I know things, or I've arrived at a place 
by my own doing. Then Paul asks them, why dost thou glory? It means to boast. Why are you boasting as if thou didst not receive it? He says, what then does a person have to boast in in himself? It just leads to being inflated with imaginary superiority. Let me say it again. It's imaginary superiority. Romans 12.3 says, For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, with the right mind, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. In other words, we think of ourselves as being more than we really are in the whole scheme of things. That causes us to not be teachable and being able to be helped by others. And God help us all to remember that we need each other very desperately and we need him and we need his grace. Amen. That we are, we haven't arrived at some special place. No matter how advanced we are in our Christian life, that is only by the grace of God. And it doesn't mean that God can't use other people to challenge us, to humble us, to cause us to see things about ourselves. And we could talk about what does pride do? Pride keeps me from seeing what I really am. Pride keeps me from seeing the real picture. And sometimes God uses and needs to use other people to help us open up our eyes. But if we're not teachable, if we're not humble, and we're not teachable, we'll never receive it or understand it. And pride continues to work in our heart. As a Christian, we ought to seek and strive to be humble. Paul said to these Roman believers, he said, not only do I thank the Lord for you, that your faith is spoken of throughout the world, not only do I want my life to be a blessing to you, but I know that you can bring comfort and help into my own life as well, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith both of you and of me. Paul was humble. And then verse 13, Paul says, Now I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. Paul says here, I want to continue to be fruitful in my life. And this is something that every Christian should strive to be, is fruitful in the work of the Lord. Paul reminds them that he's interested in glorifying the Lord, that he's been used by God uh, to bear fruit all over the known world. He says, he says, I want fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. God used Paul to plant churches, start churches, and people being saved all over the known world. And Paul says that he would like to travel to Rome so that he can get some fruit there, too, among you. His desire was not to build up himself. His desire was to glorify the Lord. 
Now, when Paul is speaking of fruit here, he's talking about spiritual fruit. And when the scriptures talk about spiritual fruit, there's usually one of three things in mind. First of all, we could say it's the idea of attitude. You know uh, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, etc. Okay, that's, we could say that there is the idea of attitudes that should be present in the life of every Christian. Those attitudes are represented by the fruit of the Spirit, as we just mentioned. The second idea could be the fruit of activity. When a believer is saved and he lives his life for the Lord, there's going to be activity in his life that will be borne out for the glory of God. That activity will translate into holy living and separated living from the world. There's spiritual fruit that is happening in my life. There's activity that's happening in my life, and it's holiness unto the Lord and separation from the world. The third is is the fruit we could say or, or in the area of addition. That refers to the addition of souls into the kingdom of God. That's what Paul is talking about here. I want fruit among you, meaning that just like I've been used of the Lord uh, to bear fruit for the glory of God all over the world, souls have been saved in the Gentile communities. I want uh, to have some fruit among you too, that God would use me and to preach the gospel and others would be added to the kingdom of Christ. That's what Paul was after. He wanted to go to Rome and win some to Jesus Christ for the glory of God. You say, well, did Paul ever see that bear out? Did he ever see that fruit that he was desirous of? Well, you can track through it in the New Testament, but years later, Paul wrote to the Philippians from Rome where he said he was able to praise God for the fruit even among the members of Caesar's household. Philippians 4.22, you can read about that. It tells us that Paul, his prayer and his desire to seek fruit among them came true. And whether the fruit that you and I bear for the Lord is manifested in our attitudes, like maybe there's some things about me that need to be more yielded to the Spirit of God, I need uh, more temperance in my life, or I need to, to love like Christ, or there, there's joy, or there's peace, or or long-suffering, whether, whether that fruit is manifested in my attitudes, whether it's manifested in activity, in the way that my life is changing, or in the addition of souls to the kingdom of Christ or the kingdom of heaven, what we need to understand is that it is God's will for us to bear fruit. John chapter 15. In verse 8, go over there, John chapter 15. John 15 and verse 8, Jesus says, Herein is my Father glorified. Here's the way that God is glorified. How? That ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. It is the will of God, and it brings glory to God when our life bears fruit. Now, somebody will say, well, how do you bear fruit? Well, in Jesus tells us in John chapter 15, in verse 1, he says, I am the vine, 
and my father is a husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. How do we bear fruit in our Christian life? Abiding in the vine. Staying close to the Lord Jesus Christ. Being connected to Jesus Christ. His life being manifest or lived out in my life is how we bear fruit. And that's what glorifies God. And the point is, as a Christian, we should desire that our life is fruitful for the Lord. You know, your life is not given to you to live it for self. Your life is not given to you just to work a job or to make a home or to make uh, some income and to establish a retirement fund. That's not why God gave us life. He saved our soul, not so that we could accomplish some ambitious things with my life so that I could make a name for myself or be popular or so that people will remember me. God gave me life to bear fruit, to glorify God. That's what we should be desiring in our life. Lord, I want my life to count for you. Look at verse, go back to our text, Romans 1. Look at verse 14. Romans 1 and verse 14. Paul says here, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also. That ties back to verse 13 where he says, I want to have some fruit among you too. And then he says, I'm debtor. I'm a debtor. When it comes to the gospel, I have a debt that I owe. Both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise, to all kinds of people, he says here. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. What is Paul talking about here? He's talking about his obligation and this is something that every Christian should desire. To have in their heart a burden and an obligation toward the gospel of Jesus Christ. So as Paul wrote to the Roman Christians, he felt this deep debt to those who needed to hear the gospel message. The debt Paul felt was in the area of his ministry here in regard to the lost. And he, ha and he said, I am, I am a debtor to all these different kinds of people, and I'm ready to preach the gospel. In other areas of his life, even his own countrymen, Paul said, the prayer and the desire of my heart for my own people is that they would be saved. And he said, I bear them record. They have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge, 
They're going about to establish their own righteousness, and they've not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. And Paul said, if I could, if it were possible, even I would count myself a curse for Christ if it meant that people could be saved. Do you see the heart behind the Apostle Paul toward the gospel of Jesus Christ and toward those who needed to hear it? That's why he said, I'm a debtor. And as much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel. May I remind you that you and I are indebted as well. We aren't in debt to God for salvation. That was a free gift. We are, however, indebted to those who are perishing about us. Why? Because we hold in our hands the answer to the problems of their life. We hold in our hands the remedy to the thing that is killing them, their sin. Every believer in this room this afternoon needs to remember that we owe a debt to every person that lives around us. We're not special in the fact that, oh, well, we deserve the gospel. God gave it to us. No, he gave it to the whole world so that all men would come to a place of repentance. And God chooses to use his people to preach the gospel to the world around us. And my point is, you and I have a debt toward all men. We've received salvation as a gift from God. God wants to use your life to minister to and make a difference for eternity in the life of somebody else. How do I discharge this debt? Well, the only way is for me to tell the world about Jesus Christ. Some people say, well, I can't really do that. That's not really my personality. Listen, you can, you can if you're a born-again believer. And the reason you can is because you have the Holy Spirit of God living within you. And Jesus said to his church, he said that you're going to receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me. That's what Jesus said. God can use your life. Whether it's praying for a lost soul, whether it's uh, investing your life into someone else's life who needs the Lord, and I come alongside of them and make investments into them and befriend them and keep pointing them and drawing them to Jesus Christ, whether it's writing a letter to a loved one who needs the Lord to challenge them with their own mortality and their eternity, God can use your life to be a witness to somebody else. That's what he wants. Are you? Are you? We ought to have the desire. Lord, use my life to make a difference in eternity for somebody else. I think that ties in with what Paul says in verse 16, and it's not part of our text. But Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You know why most people don't desire to be a witness for Christ? They're ashamed. 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They don't want to stand out or be different or be ridiculed or made a laughing stock of in the eyes of the world. The world hates the Lord. The world hates light and truth. That usually means something. So if I speak up or I say something, no doubt there's going to be flack. No doubt there's going to be ridicule. No doubt there's going to be that which comes back on me and I'm going to be made a laughing stock of. And so I'll just blend right in. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God and the salvation that has saved my soul for all eternity. You need to hear it too. Paul says, I'm a debtor. I'm obligated. Well, you and I have a debt, but we ought to want our life to be used of the Lord. And the last thing in verse 15, he says, so as much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel. Paul was eager. He closed this section out and he tells the Romans that he is ready to go to Rome to preach. The word ready literally means eager. That's what it means. So Paul says, I'm eager to go and preach the gospel. He says, I can't wait to get to Rome so that I can preach the gospel there too. In other words, Paul's excited about his call and his commission. He's excited about the fact that he gets to be used of God to preach the gospel. Do we have any eager Christians anymore? Do you understand what I mean by that? Excited, ready, eager to serve the Lord. I think sometimes we, we lose that excitement when it comes to the work of the Lord. I mean, our flesh gets excited about things, whether it's hunting, fishing, football. We get excited about that game that's coming up. Get excited during that hockey game anticipating what's going to come. But when it comes to witnessing, where are the people who are lining up to go out into the world and share the gospel? I'm excited that I get to serve the Lord today. Where are those who are excited? It's getting close to church time. I know what I, I just... Just this week, I was feeling that very thing. Not so excited to go to church today. And the Lord convicted me about this attitude of like, we're just going to try to get through the day. Are you kidding me? We're just going to try to get through the day. Shameful. Shame on me. I get to come into the house of God. I get to have an influence on people. I get to preach the word of God. I get to have God's word minister in my own heart. I get to go fellowship with God's people. Good to be around you today, Chris. It's not so exciting. I'm going to get home and watch that football game. And I hope the Chiefs win it.
Arabia. What I'm saying is the things of God are so much more important than anything temporal. The things of God, where do, when do we get to the point where I would rather miss out on anything else except for being where God is and the things of God? Where are those who would rather be a part of what God is doing than anything else in their life? Not just in words. Those are all fancy words we can say. Those are all words we can say to make ourselves look spiritual. But I really mean it in my soul. You understand what I mean? Oh, that God would cause us to understand the reality of what He wants us to be involved in. And that we would see that the business of God is real and the work of God accomplishing what He's accomplishing is something that is eternal, that is something that will last. So we get into our Christian life and we get into the mold and we get into the routine and we get into the rut so often. Would you describe yourself or would you describe your life as one lived in eager anticipation of doing the work of the Lord? Paul said, I am eager, I am ready to preach the gospel and keep on serving. This is the purpose of my life. And that's why Paul said, for me to live is Christ. Whether by life or by death, my life is to be glorifying to the Lord. The word eager or ready also implies urgency. Paul knew and was reminded of the fact that he only had a limited time to carry out the Lord's work in his life. He also understood that those who needed to hear the gospel were running out of time. And Paul was saying, I must get to Rome if the Lord allows it so that I can preach this soul-saving gospel to those who are held in sin's captivity. And what I'm saying is you and I, we need the same sense of urgency about us. Time is running out. I'm feeling earthquakes in Fairbanks like never before. That 5.4 the other day, I started shaking and rattling things. It was like, whoa! That's the biggest one I've felt in 10 years of living in Alaska. We don't normally feel them like that in Fairbanks. And just today, apparently there was another earthquake, 4.7 or something like that. I had no idea. I was taking a shower this morning and getting ready, and Kara's like, did you feel that earthquake? I'm like, no. Like the earth was shaking. And she's like, oh yeah, he felt it. It wasn't as powerful, but earthquakes, pestilence. Pray for Brother Gurf. He's got COVID. It's going around again. Other sickness and illness. Wars. Rumors of wars. In the Middle East right now with Israel and Hezbollah, I was listening to a podcast the other day, and there's all this talk about 
what's happening with Iran and what needs to happen with Iran and there's rumors of wars, etc. All of those things are things that Jesus said would be present right before he comes again. Time's running out is the point. We don't know how much time that is. We don't know what we have left. But we do need to be focused, like we were talking about this morning. And that was the Apostle Paul. I'm eager and I'm ready, and it implies some urgency as well. If there's work to be done, then it's got to be done now. That's the only time we have. So the point is, the Apostle Paul is an example. He represents what every Christian should strive to be. That's what God did in his life. And I wonder this afternoon if you would take the time to examine yourself, examine your own life. Would you do that humbly before the Lord? And if there's areas where you need to move closer to the Lord and you know it, you know it's true, then would you humble yourself and ask the Lord for His grace and surrender it and yield it to Him? Maybe there's some motives and priorities of life that need to be addressed. Maybe there's no sense of urgency about you to serve Christ. But we can be very urgent about the temporal things and they can become tyrannical. They become masters of our life. point is, would you examine your own heart? And would you do it humbly before the Lord? Because He's the only one who can actually meet those needs. Amen. We can be reminded of them, but He's the only one who can meet them. So, that's the prayer. Lord, help me. These are good examples. These are things that I should be reminded of in my life. Lord, I want to yield them to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that you would challenge us again with the thought that my life is not my own. As a Christian, I want to be, should be, desirous of being like Christ. His life being lived out in me. His will being done and accomplished in me. The Apostle Paul was a good example of a humble servant yielded to the will of God and the work of God straight priorities and focus in his life. And Lord, I pray that you'd help me to have the same desire to be used of God, to be focused on the purpose of God, to be surrendered, yielded, to be thankful, to want my life to count for Christ and be an influence for Christ in the life of others, to point them to the Lord. Lord, to not be ashamed of you, and Lord, I pray that you would, that you'd fill me. And I pray the same for your people. We'd be established, grounded in truth, and then we'd be unified together in the cause of Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Keep our heads bowed.